Message Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. And here we are, November 15th, 2020. Lots of stuff going on in the world, and so is in bass fishing. That's what I love. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a great mood again today, Kurt, talking about <laughs> fishing, uh, falls coming. And uh, anyway, Bass Edge Radio, always brought to us by our friends at MegaWare Keel Guard, the first do-it-yourself keel protector, makers of the Battery Guard, the Skeg Guard, which I have used many times because of uh, hitting stuff or forgetting to raise <laughs> right. my, uh, my motor up at the ramp, right? The Scuff That's Buster, right. list goes on and on. Be sure to visit them at keelguard.com and tell them Bass Edge sent you. Yeah, man. Lots of great products there. And honestly, Aaron, lots of great products all over the place. Yeah. And as I, products I actually, come out. If, if you don't Go mind, ahead. I'm going to I'm gonna yeah. jump in because products, one of the things, I know this is a short segment. One of the things I wanted to get your opinion on, because setting up the new boats, right? It's that right. time of year. Power pole. And now they've got the charging system that's going in. What's your thoughts? Is that going to be the new must-have? Man, it's becoming that way, and I'm going to tell you why I believe that. Uh, the charge system, so you know, kind of really getting installed in boats end of last year. Some people taking advantage of it in 2020. I feel like you know, moving into 2021, it's going to become more of the go-to charging system. Not only because it's a great charger, it's really because all of the added benefits that it allows you to manage the whole battery system in your boat and how the unit itself manages that system. If you're low on trolling motor power and you're good on charging power from your battery system, it's going to move power from one battery to another. It's going to manage the whole system. Plus, as you're running your motor, it is charging your batteries at a higher rate. It is helping keep your batteries charged while you're operating your boat at a higher rate than just if it was just the alternator charging it. Because not only is it just going into your cranking battery, but now it's it's also being utilized into your trolling motor batteries. And with all of these electronics things that's going on, which we're actually going to get to in a later part of today's show, is you need all of the power and management that you can possibly get because these units are becoming so smart and sophisticated. And now with this charging system being so smart and sophisticated to manage the power in your boat, it's a must because yeah. the voltage that it's taking to run all these electronics. The, the integration is just amazing, Kurt. Yes. I mean, from your iPhone that syncs with all this stuff, you're controlling it, you know, to remote control, trolling motors, spot lock, all of this stuff is, and like you said, that takes a lot more power than what it did yes. 10 years ago for us to be out there on the water, especially all day at the level that we do it at. And it used to be a scenario where you would suck your battery down so much that it would actually hurt the longevity of the battery correct. in your boat, yes, right? That's if you, right. If you drain it down. Because it only so has so many cycles, right? That's correct. So so this charge system is now helping that process so it doesn't get depleted so bad throughout the day, even if you're using it really, really hard. So uh, lots of great benefits for the power pole charge system. Y'all be sure to check it out if you're getting a new boat. If you're looking to replace a charger, maybe your charger's gone bad, you've had a bad say. Look at the charge. It, it's not cheap. You know, it's, it's not the economy version of a charger. 
charger, right? Because of all the technology that's gone into it and how you can manage it. You manage it through your phone, Aaron. I mean, it's incredible stuff. I think this is going to take over most chargers throughout our boat purchases going forward. This is a great system and uh, something that, that shouldn't be overlooked that PowerPole is providing all of us anglers, especially tournament anglers that use their equipment on a more than regular type basis. So uh, PowerPole charge system, got to give props up to those guys. Aaron, we've got a huge show, but before we get to the next segment, talking about some electronics, we got a protecttheharvest.com tackle tip coming your way. Y'all stay tuned. Enjoy. Great episode coming up of Bass Edge Radio. This episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with MLF BBT Pro Ish Monroe. Well, folks, you know, we're into that fall transition time, and one of my most favorite baits is a Biggie Series crankbait. We have it in Biggie Smalls and Biggie Papa, which is two different sizes. The Biggie Smalls being about a 1.5 series, and a Biggie Papa being about a 2.0 to 2.5 series. And you have to pay attention to the bait. Especially if you're fishing shad, if you got small shad, you want to use the Biggie Smalls. If you're using, you see big shad, you want to use Biggie Pop-Up. Matching the hatch is so key in the fall and matching the colors exactly. There's a lot of different great colors. If you're fishing shad, stick with the shad pattern. If you're fishing bluegill, you fish with a bluegill pattern. If you're seeing crawdads, you fish with a crawdad pattern. So paying attention, matching the hatch with the Biggie Series crankbait from River to Sea is going to be key for you catching a lot of fish and more and bigger fish in the fall transition. So folks, go out there, enjoy the outdoors. Great tip, Ish. Brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Well, Kurt, first off, there's not many segments to where I instruct or ask or suggest that listeners have a pen you know and uh, something to write with and a piece of paper <laughs> right, but uh, right. you know we're going to bring it this segment and uh, I, I just find it odd that we're already getting this close to Christmas this year has been odd it has flown by but I don't know about you but I'm already kind of jonesing to try and come up with Christmas gifts and ideas and and uh, things that uh, whether it's for your friends your significant other but that's always a challenge for me I'm always jonesing about that Aaron, uh, you know, <laughs> I used to be that guy that would run into, 
you know, the mall the night before, the day before, and buy 10 things. You know, you got your list, mom, dad, girlfriend, wife, whatever. I don't have a girlfriend, by the way, but back then (laughs) I did. Uh, Whatever, you know, sister, daughter, uh, son, you know, so many many things, uncle, whatever, whoever you're buying for. But I used to have that list, and I'd run around the mall like a crazy banshee with five million other people, it seemed like, shoulder to shoulder. And um, now that I get older, I think about those things a little bit sooner. Yeah, one of the things that struck me with kind of the thought process in this discussion is the packages that we received in the mail. Yeah, man. Wildwings.com sent us a few canvases. This is some pretty neat stuff, something a little off of my typical thought process, quite honestly, Aaron. I received a artist rendition of some underwater bass footage. Again, this is Wildwings.com, and my title is to my canvas was called tight to cover and it's a largemouth bass you know hanging out under a tree with some hydrilla and uh dude you know how much i love fishing grass right and no doubt. Uh, so i i got this thing you know in my office and dude it is uh it's comforting it's i'm gonna be honest it's comfort it's a comforting piece so uh man i super appreciate love this piece of art i think that this could be something that uh would be a great christmas gift as you alluded to earlier for well, uh, exactly. so many types of folks, you know, or someone could give me another piece of this art because I like it that much. Well, and, you know, the one I received, which uh, no offense, Kurt, but uh, mine is called Fall Frenzy and it's smallmouth. And I don't have any mounted fish, right? I've fished for all of my life. It's just, we, you know, we're catch and release and that kind of stuff. But this is one of those deals to where it's, you know, multiple smallmouth with the bait fish. And what strikes me is the detail, you know, uh, art uh, is, is one of those things that you appreciate, but when it's about fishing and the other thing is I, after they sent this to me, I kind of perused their website and it's not just bass fishing stuff that they have, obviously with the name of wildwings.com, you know, they have all kinds of wildlife, but I so appreciate mine is hanging in my office as well. But one of the things that really helped inspire me is because I have so many clients, right? So many relatives in that that you're always kind of looking for that perfect gift, but you just never know. Well, this is one of those things for any outdoor enthusiast, whether it's your home, your office, your cabin, whatever. These are some high quality pieces um, that that can go anywhere. And they've got signs and all that other stuff too. So uh, really appreciate them thinking of us. Well, we're going to take this a step further. Right now, Bass Edge listeners get 10% off their order when they sign up at wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's right, 10% off at wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge, Aaron. So, uh, cool opportunity for Wild Wings to kind of, you know, show us what they've got. We can talk about it here on the show, and uh, you know, hopefully, listeners can take a peek at uh, at the website and and see all these great outdoor pieces that they have available. Yeah, no doubt, they have art decor for hunters. You know, patriotic pieces, a lot of cabin decor, uh, like we talked about, but thousands of nature-inspired art from over 200 of the best nature artists in the world, including, you know, one of my favorites, Terry Redland, Michael Seavey, Mark Cicino, which is, he's the gentleman that painted both of ours, and then Chris Kelly. So, uh, anyway, great stuff there. Awesome, man. We're excited to uh, see what else WildWings.com has to offer at Backslash Bass Edge. Also excited, Aaron, we got some changes going on here at Bass Edge, and uh, I know that you have taken your own dollars into another realm of this industry, and that is electronics. And we're going to dive deep right now 
into this electronics change that you've invested into and excited to talk about how Garmin has changed the evolution of electronics over the last couple years and kind of bring everybody some more information on what this could mean for them or maybe they might decide to upgrade or maybe conclude that what they've got is all they need. But uh, we're going to dive into some more electronics action. So Aaron, tell me about your Garmin system. Kurt, you are correct. And you know me well enough. Uh, you know, people say I'm so tight, I screw on my socks. And I did part <laughs> away with, uh, with dollars from Bass Edge for the two Bass Edge boats. We set them up differently. It came down to, you know, it was a tough decision. I'm, I'm a loyal person, but I'm also tired of donating money for individuals that had the, uh, the live scope of which I, I, I want your opinion on because I know you've roomed with a lot of professionals there. But the process really started from that perspective. You know, it's cutting edge technology, uh, got a little bit of taste, and I just felt like it was time to flip the switch that as Bass Edge, right, we're not doing our job if I don't have experience with this to be able to talk intelligently about that. So sure. I sought out an individual. I like personal relationships versus trying to learn everything online, YouTube videos. And that individual, and this is where you're going to, I'll give you this information again at the end of the show. So this is where you want okay. to, the pencil and, and paper ready to go. But that was uh, through Danny Smith at DR Marine and Fish. And he and I visited quite a bit. And we decided to set both boats up a little bit differently. One we put on two graphs on the front with smaller graphs and then a 12 on the console. The boat that I personally run are two 12-inch graphs, one on the front and one on the back. Why don't you kind of dive off into some of your experience with LiveScope? And I can sure. tell you, you know, straight up, my experience as of late that actually helped me catch fish that I would have never caught before. Yeah. You know, first, I'm, I definitely want to go into, you know, some slight history with where all this came from. 2015, Garmin comes out with Panoptics. Panoptics, uh, forward-looking sonar technology. So not just looking down on 2D sonar, downstand, side scan, out the sides of the boat. You know, this particular technology looking out forward, right? So the difference, you know, you got Hummingbirds, got the 360, uh, you know, Lowrance, um, you know, they, they've played with several different things, the spotlight and, and some other things where you could look and see out what was in front of the boat. But this technology that Garmin came with – actually gave you real-time feedback at, in, in 2015 of what was going on out in front of your boat in a 20-degree cone. Then what they did in 2000, late 2017, early 18, is they came out with LiveScope. So at Panoptics, it's still called Panoptics, but it evolved into LiveScope technology, which gave you the same real-time presence of what was going on in that 20 degree angle wherever the transducer was pointing which you can move the transducer with your trolling motor pedal wherever your trolling motor is facing that direction that's where your transducer is pointing to and you're seeing a 20 degree wide perspective of what's going on in real time on the screen of the Garmin unit on your boat so Man, all kinds of detail that wasn't there with the early edition of Panoptics was there now with this new Garmin LiveScope, which really the anglers, uh, I feel like, embraced. Panoptics was cool. And it gave you some some looks that you hadn't seen before. But, dude, in 2018, when the technology came, it was almost like you had the same resolution as downscan and sidescan 
now present with that live shooting. Well, and Kurt, if I may, you're exactly right. The real experience that I had alluded to right before when you were talking about the historical piece of how this evolved, uh, tournament down at Table Rock, right? I had never used this stuff. And uh, of course, Active Captain, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, but it allowed me to more or less download all of the Corps of Engineers brush piles, which you can do on any of the units. Don't get me wrong there. Download those, but then I can split my screen or if you have two units like we do on the other boat, you mm-hmm. simply designate one for live scope and one for your mapping. You pull up, zoom in your screen, so I don't necessarily have to drive over that brush pile, right? I pull up to it, let's say. I use my trolling motor like you're talking about, pointed in that direction. I can see literally what is in that brush pile. Now, we often know fish will sometimes hold deep into cover, but you can still tell that there's something there. And when I would cast my jig, you could see the jig falling into it. You see the brush pile just come alive. You are literally watching that. And I promise you, no doubt, I weighed in four bass on the first day, or second day, (laughs) I'm sorry, of the Table Rock event that I would not have caught before. Yeah. It's pretty amazing stuff. So I've got several friends that are on the Garmin Pro staff and have played with their units and and they've showed me what it does. And and it's my job as a professional angler to understand, you know, all the technology that's out there. So I've got some decent knowledge about, you know, this type of unit and, and everything else that is available from, you know, an electronic standpoint in the industry. And this is definitely something that we've seen on TV this year, probably more than any other product out there that has changed the way anglers catch fish and utilize their electronics in you know of course this is the new deal right it's amazing how this is kind of refocused the ability to catch a bass, just like you're talking about, you know, instead of idling over something, you know, you can set down if you know where that brush pile is and kind of look and see what the activity level. The, the cool thing is, is let's say you throw that jig in there and you see a fish react negatively to your presentation. Well, look, man, we got a box full of crickets, lures is what I really mean, but we got a box full of lures that that you can change from throwing that jig into that brush pile to that crankbait. You know, maybe they change their attitude when the crankbait is thrown. We can change from a jig to a plastic worm, you know, and kind of see how fish are reacting in cover that we're staring at in real time from the deck of our freaking boat. It, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's crazy. It's time, it's time management and maximizing opportunity that we've never seen before. And it is, you know, then you add the active captain piece, which is an app that you download on your phone. Okay. You, your phone, you're right. Your mobile device connects with your graph. You can manipulate, manage waypoints. You can, I mean, what this does is just mind boggling. You know, used to, you would have to take the chip out and do all this other kind of stuff. And you can still do that because it's got all the micro SD cards. But sure. at the end of the day, you know, it's it's outside of the context of the time that we have. And we're, we're going to spend more time on this in the future. Right. But, um, you know, Kurt, I can't say enough. And again, I just want to emphasize so that people know this was money spent, right? This isn't <laughs> right. some advertisement, but I do feel it's, it's just worthy for people to make sure that they at least investigate and see how it suits their style. One thing in the process though, and this is where you, what I was telling you that you're going to want to write down, Danny Smith is his name. And the reason why you want to talk with Danny is simply because when we dove off into how to rig those, the boats and that curtain, you've seen, I know you've experienced with all the different mounting brackets, right? Sure. And the wiring and, and all of those kinds of things. 
he is able to kind of listen to your style, look at your budget, make sure that not only you have the best for the budget that you have, but also that everything is mounted properly because the new mounting system, these graphs are interchangeable now. You just clip them in. There's no more unscrewing cables in the back. So there's some advantages there. You can take the one on the front. If you want the bigger one in the front, move it back to your console in case you want to spend your time scanning from the console versus at the trolling motor. So all of those types of things. He is um, obviously Garmin certified, but his telephone number is 316-518-1009. Again, 316-518-1009, and that is Danny Smith with DR Marine and Fish. Yeah, Aaron, I want to want to say one more thing about that. Danny, you know, as he instructed you, can kind of work with the different budgets. Basically, to get into the live scope realm and kind of working this into maybe integrated into your current units that you may have on your boat, you're looking at about 2500 bucks. You know, that's kind of the price tag on the entry level. You want to start getting into some of the bigger screens, the 10-inch screen or, or maybe even up to the 12 inch screen, then you're going to start adding about 500 bucks for each additional size screen increase that, that you're progressing to. So you get into that 10 inch screen, you're looking at about three grand and you get into the 12 inch screen, it becomes, you know, again, more expensive, but there's a lot of different ways that Danny explained to you of how to rig up your boats. And that's kind of why you did two different things, right? Trying to understand where you're coming into with the bass edge boats. That's right. And uh, you got, you know, one unit, on the, on the console, one unit on the bow and one rig, and then two units on the bow and one unit on the console on the other rig. And, and so, you know, kind of playing with these things, and it really kind of gives anglers different concepts, which you'll be able to continue to expound on. That's the great thing about you getting involved with this process. And even though we might be slightly late for you to take a part of this process, it's better late than never. If you had waited like maybe a couple more years or another year, then uh, I think we've all seen how effective a unit like this can be for catching more bass. You've I've, experienced, I've experienced that straight up. Correct. Right. So again, right. Danny Smith, DR Marine and Fish, good stuff. Awesome. Well, hey, Aaron, talking about a little deep water fishing, a little electronics usage. We got a guy that really likes deep water fishing. We got a guy that has lit up some media over the last several months in the bass fishing world. No matter how he's staying in the media, he has done himself a terrific job. And we look forward to talking to him about some Texas lakes that are going through some changes and how it relates to late fall and early winter fishing. Y'all stay tuned for the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. I'm FLW Tour Pro Luke Duncan. I'm professional angler Keith Poche. This is 2019 Bassmaster Classic Qualifier Jared Littner. This is BASS Elite Series Angler Seth Fighter. This is Facts and Fishing host Dave Mercer, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Be at home with nature this holiday season with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either 
either of them up. I can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. We have a Bass Edge rookie on today's show. Looking forward to chatting with this professional angler. He seems to be in the headlines every couple months over the last two seasons in the professional fishing world. Lots of things we'll discuss today. Without further ado, please welcome to the show FLW Pro Circuit Angler, Daryl Gleason. Excited to catch up with you on Bass Edge Radio, Daryl. Yeah, man. I'm excited to be on here. It's uh, really cool to get to visit with uh, you guys and uh, looking forward to always sharing some of my fishing tips and thoughts with everyone out there so it's going to be exciting man well daryl as we were uh, chatting kind of before we jumped on the actual official episode here you know 2020 has been kind of a tough year with everything that's been going on but for team gleason as you mentioned it's it's been a great year you know as kurt mentioned you had some big one-day catches and contended very heavily for a win in several events over the past 18 months basically all beginning in the uh, 2019 bassmaster open win on your home lake of toledo bend what has the past two years meant for your fishing career? Well, man, I guess it's just one of the things that's all like in God's time. You just keep doing the work, and when you get your opportunities, you just put in the work, and when the good Lord's ready for things to go your way, he wants to show you some favor and honor your faith, things just come together. So it all honestly did start at Toledo Den and the uh, Bass Open uh, last February, and, and that was just an opportunity on my home pond, and man, every everything fell into place in that event for me. The weather was brutally cold and tough, and things just kind of come together for me in that event. And, and it's kind of been that way, you know, like you said, the last 18 months. There's definitely still been some lows, but there's been some incredible highs, man. And I mean, is there any better way to put how professional fishing and, and even just fishing tournaments in general can go? The, the highs and lows are incredible sometimes and uh you know i as i've matured as an angler i've just learned to ride the highs the best you can and forget about the lows as quick as you can and keep moving and as you said it's just been an incredible uh run for us here the last two years and man i uh hope it continues i don't want anything to change yeah, there you go that's right daryl you're coming off another recent solid performance in the bass opens uh the fall event schedule in my view has really shown the full-time anglers have fared much better than others you know the, the guys that are just you know kind of more weekend anglers that are that are 
trying to make their next step into a full-time fishing career as you've done over the last several years. Do you feel there's a reason for that pattern? And if so, what's putting the advantage for full-time anglers like yourself into these fall-loaded bass open events this year? Yeah, I've kind of noticed that too. And look, you still have to pay respect to the, you know, Kurt, you know, there, there's some guys that are just headhunters, man. It seems like they can just go mess around all week long and then decide to jump in a derby and go win it. But then there's, there's those of us, man, and I, I have felt from day one when I started trying to chase this dream that I don't have the most natural talent. And uh, due to that, I have always felt like I got to try to work as hard or harder than everybody else. And so I have always, uh, and, and part of that too is where I live, you know, around San Rayburn and Toledo Bend. We have always fished, you know, all year long. There's no months off. And I feel that that gives us guys that have done that for a while, like a comfortability. You know, I'm not thinking about being in a deer stand or I'm not upset I'm not getting to hunt. So there's a comfortability to being on the water. You still, like any other time of the year, you got to go out and put in your work and figure out where the fish are and what patterns are going on, those things. But that comfortability to me where I fish every month through a calendar year. So it hasn't been anything new. And I, and I do think that that's a little bit of an edge for a lot of the guys. You know, honestly, on all the circuits, the, the BASS Elite Series, you know, they're having a, a, a later season than normal due to all the COVID restrictions and those things. So, yeah, I, I do. I, I see the pattern. Um, I just think it's, uh, for me anyways, it's a comfortability thing and kind of like you know what to expect. You know, the fall can be up or down, and I think you just kind of, you just learn to roll with it. If you're at a fishery that's super tough, then you know you better go get your seven or eight bites a day and hope they're the right ones. And here any time, you know, these cold fronts keep coming, it's going to actually start getting pretty good. And so yeah, that's right. We know right. you kind of shift over and actually start catching a lot of fish, uh, you know, any day now. So, you know, I say it's the biggest edge just between our ears just comfortability with it you bring up a very good point and you know here we are the middle of november daryl and depending on geographically obviously you and kurt both reside there in texas i more in missouri so geography has a little bit as far a little bit to do with kind of the the effects of fall but when you're thinking of of fall fishing what lures immediately come to mind that will provide you kind of that ability to find fish in those conditions and why yeah so and and like, like you said you made a great point there, Aaron. Fall fishing, like all fishing, it's all it, it can be relative to where you're at geographically. So, um, you know, the like that are up around Missouri and Arkansas and all that, I think a lot of the guys are thinking about crankbaits, wiggle warts, you know, cranking rocks and all those things. And a lot of that, in my opinion, is based on the cover of the lake that you're attacking. So down in Toledo Bend, right now we don't have a ton of grass. So the last few years when fall comes up, I think of staring at my grass all day and finding fish out deep and utilizing, you know, drop shots, Jigging spoons, Carolina rigs, those kind of things. But the reverse part of that is the years we've had the great grass. Like right now, Sam Rayburn has a lot of grass. It's more of a square bill, lipless crankbait, swim bait, you know, kind of moving bait. And a lot of that, I think we just have to remember that bass are opportunistic feeders. They look for cover. They look for bait. And so they're going to roll with what's available. And on these lakes where that changes a lot, us as anglers, we got to be willing to change too. So based on the habitat, that's kind of how I decide to go at it, you know, so Next year, if we have a terrific grass year, then I may not go out and look at my grass spot as much. I might try to focus more on the grass because I know that the entire system, as far as the bait and the bass and everything else, is going to gravitate towards that grass. Where right now, since we don't have a lot of grass, the better habitat for them to ambush and do their thing is going to be out deep. And part of that's because that's where the bait fish is going to be. They have 
more opportunity to hide and survive out deep right now than they do shallow. Daryl, this is actually one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show, too, is you, you've got such a great experience in your territory of the country with Rayburn, Toledo. Toledo, four, five, seven years ago, great grass fishery. Obviously, Rayburn's always been uh, predominantly a grass fishery. But Toledo really has gone through this transition to be a little bit more structure and cover oriented offshore. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about some fish movements from the fall bite to early winter, which we typically see uh, happen in that latter part of November into mid-December. And what are the differences that really, if you could dial it in for the listeners, I think they can get both perspectives from a grass fishery and from a fishery that doesn't have as much grass. Talk about Toledo, drop shotting, spooning. You talk about Rayburn or an old Toledo, maybe, of more lipless crankbaits, square billing during that kind of later fall, early winter bite. How do you follow fish, first of all, through that transition process in each scenario? I know this is a really broad question, but if you can kind of tackle yeah. that for us, we'll have, a, we'll have a good conversation about it, I think, for the listeners to understand the differences. Yeah, um, and the, the word transition has like been like the big word we've heard in the sport here the last month or two is the fall sure. transition. It can, be, right. it can be so difficult because you do. Uh, I think what has always helped me, the way I try to relate things, I try to relate it to everyday life. I try to relate bass as much as I can to how we all live our lives. And, you know, we have people in our country that like to live in big cities. We have people that want to live rural. We have people that want to eat peas and cornbread every night. And we have people that want to eat a big steak every night. And I think you can remember, bass can be the same way. And although a lot of times when we're talking patterns, we're trying to figure out what the highest percentage of the bass are doing in the fishery. You still have to remember, you know, if I'm catching them out deep on my drop shot, someone somewhere on Toledo Bend in November, December are probably creaming them up shallow with a square bill or something. You just have to kind of stay fresh and remember that not every bass on the fishery is thinking the same. And I think sometimes we can get tied up a little bit into, well, so-and-so in an interview said this, or this article said that, and we try to replicate that. And as anglers, especially whenever I was, uh, you know, teaching school back in the day and I only had two days a week to fish, basically, I found myself in that trap where I... I wouldn't change enough. And if, if there's any time of the year where I can tell you to, you know, kind of be willing to be versatile. If you get a Saturday, Sunday to go fish, be versatile. Make a game plan. Go out there and see how it's going. So I would tell someone if they're coming to a fishery like Toledo Bend or Rayburn, they're going to let you know when you get around them. So if you go out and graph for four hours and you've seen nothing, you know, you're well past the time. It's time to transition and go try some shallow stuff. So something about this time of the year, though, you have to kind of bounce back and forth. And I find myself sometimes getting stagnant, and it's something I've always fought against because I love to deep structure fish. You have to fight that a little bit. So, you know, like stay versatile with it and just kind of roll with it until you figure out what, what's going on. And that can change on a daily, weekly basis depending on the weather and all that stuff. It just seems like sometimes uh, the deeper fish will decide, hey, today we're going to show up everywhere, and then weather changes might occur or whatever, and, uh, you know, the shallow fish might be better. So, you know, I always have a, uh, a deep side and a shallow side, and the versatility part is what I try to impress upon people when I'm talking about fishing, especially in the fall. You did mention Toledo Bend kind of going through a, a little change and all that stuff with our grass. Toledo Bend actually has always been a great offshore place. The biggest thing I've noticed since we've been having a little bit of lack of grass now is the amount of fishing pressure out deep. So I immediately mentioned drop shots earlier when I'm fishing deep or a chicken spoon. Right. Five years ago when there was a lot of grass, the anglers were spread out. And there's a group of anglers, we talked about, Kurt, that, that do fish 
you know, all year long. They don't deer hunt and do those things. And so, you know, like there's still some pressure on the fishery, even through, you know, the fall and the winter. And I think 2014 or so was our last time we had really good grass. And to me, what the grass done to Toledo Bend and Sam Rayburn, you know, was it spread the fishermen out. You had guys that could go shallow and catch fish. You had guys to go deep and catch fish. So it seemed like there for a while, like, uh, you know, the, the deep structure fishing and stuff like that didn't get talked about as much as it does now because right. there were other options for anglers. Sure. And what I have found now, and that's why I immediately mentioned drop shot. So I, I mentioned 2014 because back then I, I threw more power fish a little out deep. You throw so a big worm, big crank bait. Right, right, right. Makes sense. Football jig, you know, yeah, like. I thought of November, December, like, that was like one of the great football jig times if you were really trying to catch a, a big fish. Where now, anglers don't have as many options because of the habitat. There's not a lot of grass for guys to go fish uh, on Toledo Bend. And so now you're seeing, and, and obviously some of that too is with our technology and, and grass and fish finders and the accessibility now where people are, are much better with that equipment, you're seeing a lot of pressure. So, you know, that's why I immediately mentioned drop shot and spoon and those kind of things. Not to mention, you know, like I, re- I had a pretty good tournament recently on a football jig, but I knew going into that in a tournament situation, I wouldn't get as many fights. So, you know, the fall transition can be weird. It can be tricky for guys, but the biggest thing I just want people to do is they go. The thing I want you to do is stay versatile and, and kind of let the, you know, all of us anglers develop these gut instincts over time and you have to listen to your gut. Whether it works every single day or not, you listen to it. And what I have found is over time, more often than not, I think, Kurt, you would agree, your gut and your natural instincts are telling you what to do. Sometimes as anglers, we're a little stubborn and don't listen to it. So stay versatile with it and bounce back and forth until you can kind of get something going. Let the fish tell you what's up that day and roll with it. Yeah, totally agreed. I think you made a good point earlier as well, talking about kind of where you can lose focus for just a little bit. Right. You, you talked about how your yeah. enjoyment of structure fishing and, and uh, you know, you're out there for several hours and, and maybe it should have been just a few hours and then made an adjustment. But but we can get caught into what we want the fish to do or what we think is prevalent. But really listening to the feedback of, of bites and what you're seeing out there on your electronics, super, super important to, uh, as you stay, be able to, to uh, interpret what's happening throughout the day and then adjust quickly and be able to transition as the fish do as well without a hesitation and using that gut instinct. So great stuff, Daryl. Really getting into this transition conversation, late fall, early winter. We're going to continue with that. Although we've got to deploy the power poles for just a moment we'll be back after these message with flw mlf pro angler daryl gleason patented in 2000 perfected over years of testing and real world punishment the power pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool swift power pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat virtually silent power pole won't spook wary fish secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike power pole swift silent secure visit powerpole.com to find a dealer near you Message Radio, presented in part by Mercury Marine, returns with FLW MLF Pro Angler Daryl Gleason in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. For oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Daryl, going into as your guide business on Toledo. 
keto bend. Um, you've been doing that for several years now. As you mentioned earlier in the interview, previously a teacher, uh, then you know moved into full time guiding on Toledo Bend, then kind of moved into tournament bass fishing at the national level, and and now juggling those two as well. Uh, Aaron and I were actually talking about this before the show today, and and talked about some of the challenges that can be guiding a little bit different than tournament fishing you know taking clients out there wanting to make sure they're getting their line pulled back on tournament fishing you know uh in in the realm that we're fishing in today which is catching the biggest five fish a little different than guiding let's let's talk about dive into the adjustments that you've had to make to be productive in the tournament over you know being an exceptional guide there on the event yeah um it's one of those things that you know, especially locally, uh, you know, I guess I've got it now for about eight years on Toledo Bend full time. You know, when you show up to a tournament, you just see the guys, you know, look at you and be like, oh, he guides, he's going to win. And then, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, a lot of those times, those local guys go out and kick my tail. And at the end of the day, they're like, dude, what happened? Man, we struggle as guys. Like, if, uh, if someone is paying you their hard-earned money, you have to go to what you think is the best stuff. So I think a lot of times there's a misconception that, Guys that guide and tournament fish are like, we always like have these secret holes where we go catch them. And that's, you know, I'm here to tell you that's 100% false. If someone's paying you uh, for a guide fee and you're taking it, like you're going to do all you can to put them on fish. But there can be a difference. And I've noticed like on, on Toledo Bend Rayburn, I have a very diverse group of folks that hire me. I get folks that are wanting to learn tournament techniques and I get folks that are trophy hunting. And then I get folks that just want to, you know, bring their friend or wife or kid and just come catch fish all day. So it did take me several years to kind of learn, like, um, you know, to try to, I try to plan my trips for that customer. I try to really have a good conversation with them and see what they're looking at doing. And we try to formulate a plan, you know, to best meet their goals. And so the biggest difference with that in tournament fishing is tournament fishing. We have one goal and it's five big ones. You know, always five big ones. That's what we're after. So it took me quite a while to kind of get wrapped around that it's not the same. I would find myself on tournament days, you know, going to guide holes and just catching tons of fish. And at the end of the day, I have a nice solid bag, but I've, I've got my teeth kicked in by these guys, you know, that are really kind of being more aggressive and fishing for five big ones. So, you know, I find just overall in fishing, all of us, we have our strengths and our passions and things we're good at. And the more you focus on them, the better you are. So it took me a little while to figure all that out. And I would say I'm probably still figuring that out now. You just never stop learning in this game. And so I will say, though, that the opportunity I took when I decided to, you know, go away from my teaching career and, and pursue fishing full time, I did it a little different than maybe some of the guys are doing now. I feel like I'm a little more old school. And uh, so that's why I started a guide business. And really tried to build my reputation locally and build my confidence locally. And I felt that the road I took has worked out great for me these last two years where now I've transitioned to more on the tournament side of fishing now and, uh, you know, still doing guiding when I'm home and those things. But but really the emphasis on tournament fishing the last two years, for me, that, that path just worked for me. Where, like, you know, you guys know now, like, some of these guys are – Man, they're getting to do high school fishing. They come out and do college fishing, and then you know they jump in the opens of the Toyota series, and here they are taking our money. There are those guys that are that dynamic and doing that, but there's also some young guys and some guys doing it more along the lines that uh, you know I did it myself or Kurt, you may have done it. So I will say though that when I finally did it full time, the biggest thing I learned, and we touched on this a minute ago, was as amateur anglers, we spend too much time either in the areas or the techniques that has worked for us previously, whether it's the previous weekend, the year before. I find that sometimes we lose the hunt for the fish and we go with what's comfortable. And what has changed for me, especially 
uh, you know, guiding for all those years. Uh, you have people on the boat every day wanting to catch fish and be successful. And then as I transition now more into the tournament side of things, I have developed this, this deal where I would rather fish 10 or 12 new spots and not catch them than go back and fish the same exact things and same exact patterns that, that aren't working anyways. Because right. at least I feel I'm giving myself a chance to run into um, a new pattern or a new location where the fish are biting. And I feel like as long as you make yourself stay on that hunt, that um, you're going to develop better as an angler. And, that, and that's for anybody. If you're just catching fish and having fun or you're a tournament angler, I feel like that pursuit of the hunt of trying to learn and figure out what pattern they're on, that's what drives us all to bass fishing. That's where all the passion is. Um, I, I love developing a new pattern or finding a new location. That kind of brings back to, you know, when I was a child, maybe fishing farm ponds and things like that. When you found a pond that they were biting in, uh, sometimes the excitement of the new place was more fun than the excitement of, you know, actually catching the fish. So uh, that's always my biggest tip when I get someone in the boat that are looking to learn more and be more successful is just, just chase after them, man. Like if something's not working, give up on it and go do something else. I think that that mentality differs, obviously, for, for different folks. You know, you get some people that don't get the fishes often. They just want to go out there and feel the tug, right? The tug of the, you know, the tug yeah. of the drug kind of deal. And, right. and then you've got guys like yourself that, that are really, you know, analyzing what's going on and how it's working. And when you find something new, something more intriguing or, or something that you can add to your list of data boys – then, then that's a totally different mentality when you're out there on the water. And I think that's really what makes, you know, a good guide um, and then also a good tournament angler because he's able to say, okay, well, I have this pattern in place and uh, what else can I do in case there's a weather change or, or uh, you know, if there's a lot of pressure in this type of pattern, what else can I do to catch another bass in, in this fishery on this particular week? So, so I, I think – Great insight there, Daryl, and uh, you nailed it right on the head, man. Really, really interesting stuff. Uh, just to Kurt's point there, take our, uh, you know, this is my rookie season on the FOW Tour, first event at Sam Rayburn. Some years at Sam Rayburn, it's all about the rattle trap in January. Lipless cranks, drains, grass. And just to tell you, I mean, I went into that event thinking that's what I do. That was my, my pre-thought is, you know, that's how I would do. And in the way it developed, I ended up finding fish kind of still in a winter pattern and caught, caught fish out in 20, 30 foot every day. And that's how I'd get my limit before I'd go shallow and try to catch big ones. So I, I just say that to reiterate, stay on your toes. You know, for, for those guys that are really pursuing the tournament side of things, just stay on your toes and, like, develop your pattern based on what the fish are telling you and not on what you feel that they should be telling you, you know. And that can be hard. For a guy like me, uh, you know, I always joke that I'm a slow learner. It, it takes me lots of practice and lots of time on the water to – to trust what the fish are telling you. And so the, the more I've developed that part of my game plan, the better I feel like I'm doing. So, Daryl, I'd like to kind of take your advice, and, and actually I'll, I'll start with you, but it, this question is more or less for both you and Kurt uh, being familiar there with the area. So I'm obviously I'm from Missouri, right? Lake of the Ozarks, Table Rock, Bull Shoals, Stockton, Palm de Terra, typically highland uh, rocky impoundments, and I'm used to fishing impoundments with really no grass. And you kind of have very little grass, perhaps, on Toledo. And one of the things that I know, I'm friends with a lot of scuba divers that dive on Table Table Rock and Bull Shoals, and you know they see that those big fish uh, where they're hanging out 
suspended in the trees tops those kinds of things what what i would like to know um you know let's take toledo bend for instance and and, and the grass is perhaps waning uh maybe going away i don't i don't know what would be the correct uh description of that but do you find that those fish will continue using those same areas or do they generally abandon them altogether and, and find the right new cover or structure needed to survive? Uh, that, that's a great question, Aaron. And, and I actually kind of look forward to Kurt's thoughts on this as well. Um, I, I've noticed on Toledo Bend, in my opinion, the fish don't necessarily like vacate the areas. I do feel like um, the majority of those fish do find new ways to, to survive. You know, the, so instead of being on grass lines and, and things like that, they still kind of find ambush points, but it's more like around the timber or more around natural structure, whether it's a creek channel or like a roadbed or those kind of things. But, you know, Toledo Bend, the, the most famous area on Toledo Bend is Housing Bay. A lot of terms are still one out of Housing Bay, despite the fact that there's not nearly the grass there was for all those years. So I don't think they necessarily vacate the premises. I just think they readjust to their surroundings and go with the next best thing. And then, you know, let's say three years from now, we have great grass. I would expect them to readjust again and get right back to the grass. So, uh, Kurt, what's your thoughts, man? I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I appreciate that, Daryl. And and I, you know, we see it a lot here at Lake Amistad, really on a yearly or bi-yearly basis, and it's totally due to water fluctuation, right? So it's not necessarily, you know, where at, at Toledo, obviously you've got water fluctuation uh, to a lesser degree, but but here at Lake Amistad, I feel like when there's good grass, you just get so much of a bigger population of fish using the area, and, and I don't know if it's – and I feel like part of it is just because the ecosystem thrives so much better when there's grass around. But when an area that had good grass and, say, the water fluctuation changes that process, I still feel like the fish are around. They're just not concentrated as well, so it makes it more difficult for us anglers to really catch as many fish as we were when there was grass. But in contrast to or in similarity to what you your belief thought is, is I think you get on some rocky points, some little channel bends, uh, little ditches or drains. We call them here in West Texas, East Texas. They're more, more creek channels, right, because there's more regular flowing yeah. water in that area of the country. But, yeah, they, they get more located on that structure rather than obviously what they had is grass cover but if you can find some cover brush piles lay downs uh you know big rock you know pieces in in around an area where there's good structure like a uh, deep drop off or channel bend you're still going to find some fish back in the pockets they're just not going to be as many to catch back there because the cover is not as healthy you know, as it was in the past, you know, if you take 10 laydowns or you take, you know, an acre of grass, there's only so many fish that can utilize the laydowns as ambush point. But there's a lot more fish that can utilize the grass as ambush. And there's just going to be a lot more congregation of bait. So, so I think that's the biggest thing. And, and when Aaron talks about his areas of, of lakes that have never had grass. I think you turn to, you know, those same types of places that fish congregate in where it changes here at Lake Amistad when there's no grass. And that's just a constant driver of where those fish are located in a, in a lake like, uh, you know, Table Rock or 
Morgan Shoals or Truman, you know, whether it's got the stand-up cedars or, you know, the back of pockets where there's some laydowns or some rocky cover where you can throw buzz baits and square bills and, and those types. Of things. So, so I do think it has a huge, profound impact on the number of fish that you can actually target in one specific area, whereas there's more with grass than without. But uh, when you're without grass, you have to concentrate more on some structure-related uh, ambush points. And, and I think that's for all anglers to kind of understand of what's going on, especially in that late fall, early winter, when you've got fish that are still in the back, but beginning a little bit of a move out uh, when there's no grass in, in those, you know, scenarios. Yeah. Great point. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, just like what you both said, the, the standing timber, the rocky structure, I mean, I'm so used to, to not fishing grass, right, that that's what we have to look for. So uh, I, I think you both both hit, it, hit the nail on the head there. All right. So let's talk about, Daryl, the final thing of, you know, really moving into this fall, late fall transition. Stark contrast between any fishery in the lower third of the lake versus the upper third of the fishery and and how it relates to that fall early winter are you looking for different structure when you're dealing with kind of more of the river upper lake than you are with the lower lake more deeper water scenario and how do the temps as they're cooling in the fall affect those transitions in early winter habitat yeah, that's a great question. I, I feel like, especially large reservoirs, like Toledo Bend, it's always been a battle against the north guys and the south guys, and, and I've always been a south guy. So that time of the year, uh, you know, we're talking fall, early winter. For me, um, on the south end, it's all about hard bottom areas, and I locate those on my grass. You're just looking for, on your side scan, the, the brighter return being a harder bottom versus, like, in the bottom of a creek channel. Generally, the bottom of a creek channel is going to be softer and it's going to be a little darker. So it's all about those hard bottom areas for me. I think as you transition and go up the lake, I think that a lot of times you're still looking for similar kind of cover. You're looking for a hard bottom area, you know, near a creek channel, near the river channel. But generally, you're going to be, most lake is going to be shallower on the upper third. So you're going to be probably having to utilize different lures and techniques to catch them. To me, the only thing that's going to change is that number on your depth finder. Instead of, you know, like on Toledo Bend right now, fish are in that 20 to 25 foot zone on the south end or up north it's probably going to be more of that you know four to eight foot range that kind of deal and so a lot of times either either end can be productive it just kind of depends on how the weather patterns are playing out what i find myself though is as it gets colder especially and i'll talk for east texas as it gets colder generally we start getting a lot of rain and the water gets dirtier on the upper end sooner and myself, I am not a fan, and I don't know many anglers are that are a fan of cold, dirty water. So yeah, that, that's a bad combo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and look, there's some places where you just don't have the option. But a lake like Toledo Bend, a lake like Amistad, these these large, large impoundments, we have options. And so if I have options, I'm gonna chase the easier option. Man, I'm all about less stress on my life. So I would say. And, and that plays into what we talked about earlier, the fast win I had on Toledo Bend where I won that open. After day one, uh, we had had a cold front and weather had stabilized a little bit. And after day one, I found myself, I want to say, like seven pounds back. And a lot of the guys that caught them on the, on the first day caught them shallow. There weren't as many bites to be had shallow, but there was very, very good uh, quality shallow. And so 
just to reiterate, you know, how things worked out for me in that event, I stayed deep because I felt like at that time of the year, you know, February for us can sometimes be early pre-spawn or kind of late winter. And we were kind of having a late winter. It was very cold. I felt like the deep fight was going to be a little more consistent for me. And, and the way it played out, day two of the tournament gets canceled because a massive front blows in with lots of cold rain. And it muddied all those shallow water areas those guys were catching them in. And so the field kind of come back to me some. And at the same time, I improved on day two and caught this this massive stringer. My fish stayed a little more consistent. And I felt like even some of the shallow fish may have come to me where the guys that were relying on those shallow patterns, they just got they got a little burned by the weather. And I think we've all been there uh, when you're dealing with these transition transitional times, you can get burned by the weather. And for guys that aren't, you know, in a tournament situation, uh, a lot of those guys don't live on Toledo Bend or, or, or whatever, and they didn't have enough areas, you know, they didn't have a shallow pattern and a deep pattern to go with. They just had one or the other. And as I've traveled around the country, I've dealt with the same thing. Sometimes you just got to go with what you got. So for, for me personally, I prefer deep structure fishing. That is my passion. That is what I'm confident in. So any lake in the country, if I can pursue that bite, I'm, I'm working on that lower third and I'm looking for that. However, you know, some, some fisheries don't have that. So Kurt, like, how is it? Is it similar to Amistad for you? Do you find, like, the upper end, if it gets a little cold and muddy, it's just stay away from it? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, in the in the early fall and in the middle of the fall bite, I actually think a stain can help a little bit. Um, it, You know, right. out here we've got some, you know, fairly clear water. So if you get, you know, you start getting those northern fronts and they start blowing a little bit of stain in, it really helps, uh, you know, disguise the angler and, and the lure, you know, selection. So you can get away with a little bit better spinnerbait bite, chatterbait bite, um, those kinds of things. Um, when you've got the clear water, you know, I'm, I'm more relying on jerk baits and, and, and more kind of mid drain open water type scenarios where I feel like, uh, the largest concentration of fish are, are going to be accumulated. But as the season progresses and, and I start getting into that early winter, which, you know, what can happen, you know, just depending on fronts and, and I'm always watching my water temperature, but here in, in South Texas at Lake Amistad, when I start seeing high fifties, I start thinking about early winter patterns. And as soon as that starts to happen, and, you know, not that you can't catch some in the grass still, but just I feel like the larger concentration, the more consistent bite is going to be kind of more out mid-depth to deep, you know, that 15 to 25 range. And, um, and, and I do not want stained water in that situation. You know, a little tinge, okay, but when you start getting stained, and, and I do agree with you that the upper third is going to get that stain much quicker than the lower third of the lake, so it's going to stay more consistent down on that bottom of the fishery. Yeah. Well, guys, before we move on to the listener question, I want to get uh, Daryl's thought on one more thing. And, Daryl, I don't care if you put your guide hat on, your tournament angler hat on, or both, but all of us have been in a situation where the bite gets tough, right? Whether it's uh, in one day yeah. or over the course of the time that we have to fish. Curious to know what you have found as the most consistent way to locate bass on a daily basis because if let's say if you're on a half day guide trip right you've got to get on the fish or if you're in a tournament maybe it's a one day shootout uh you've still got to be able to find those bites what have you found that uh, kind of springs you into that next gear yeah so and it does feel like you know we were, we were joking earlier about 2020 but i think all tournament anglers would agree it felt like every tournament this year has been a tough tournament no matter yeah, you know, i'd agree with that it was one that looked like <laughs> 
like Chickamauga, I thought, man, that's going to be a slow fest. It's deep fishing. That was my worst finish of the year. So what I have found when it's tough is is you really got to go back to your gut instinct and go with your strengths the best you can. And for a shallow water guy, sometimes that means you just have to put your blinders on and not worry that everyone's catching them deep. If, if you're a shallow water guy and, and you hadn't found them deep and it's a little tough on you, then you need to go to your roots and do what you're going to be confident in. So it can sometimes be hard when it's tough for me to say one technique because it depends on where we're at. The biggest thing is your attitude. I feel like a lot of tournament guys and a lot of fishermen in general, we all can turn into, I call them Eeyores, you know, like from Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, nobody loves him. Nobody <laughs> yeah. loves him. Donkey, yeah, dude, I know that guy. Yeah. Okay, so I have been an Eeyore for a lot of my career, and I have met a lot of Eeyores. If we don't catch them in the first hour, sometimes we turn into Eeyore. The fish don't want to bite. This is horrible. And so sometimes we need to keep that good, positive attitude. Sometimes, uh, I think, Kurt, you would agree. Sometimes the, the battle is won between our ears just as much as it won between our techniques. But, you know, generally, just to tell you the techniques I would stick with, I, I do try to keep it simple. If it's deep fishing, I'm relying more on a drop shot. That's a, a confident thing for me. I know if I see fish on my graph, a drop shot will catch them. Um, if, I, if I'm on a shallow fishery, especially if it's decently clear water, I'm going with like a shaky head, like a little worm. You know, kind of going back to those easier type techniques, but it's stuff I have confidence in in a tough bite. I want something that I'm, I'm confident. I know if I put it in front of a bass, I have a great chance of getting that bite. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing that I will say is it's attitude for me. That's what yeah. it is. It's, it's all about trying to not turn into Eeyore, not get all whiny and just stay positive and know if it's tough on me, it's tough on everybody. How can we get through this? And so yeah. get technique and roll with it. Love it. Great tips on both fronts. Uh, maybe scale down, throw something that you're confident in. You know it's going to get bite if you get it in front of fish. But most important, Daryl Gleason's tip of the day, do not be Eeyore. <laughs> <laughs> not I think that's Eeyore. the best. Yes, yeah. Like it. Yeah. All right, Daryl. We got a listener question segment of the show presented by Nitro sure. Performance Bass Boats. Matt Green from Lynchburg, Virginia asked the following. Kind of getting into some color selection question here from matt he says i see many people flipping and pitching brown purple lures one do peanut butter and jelly colored soft plastics and skirts work well daryl um just kind of what are your overall thoughts for matt on color choices and why you make them yeah so um these kind of questions are always cool to me because because of my progression through tournament fishing i was the amateur guy asking these questions and wondering i wondered why every time at the end of a tournament I had on like six different colors on my boat and then I'd see like tournament results or whatever. And I'd see like, well, they caught them on green pumpkin or brown and purple. It seems like the pros always keep it so simple. And that goes back to that attitude or whatever. We, we just have confidence that they're going to bite X amount of colors and, and that color can be different for all of us. So I, I would tell you the biggest reason for me is, is brown and purple is just a good natural color. And even in slightly stained water, it can still be a good color. So a lot of times that's something anglers are keeping it simple. We're going with the confidence base that we have. And so in a situation where the water is somewhat clear, somewhat stained, it's hard to beat brown and purple, man. Like that's a, that's probably actually my favorite. We actually have a color with I me. Mean, I work with the NM bait and it's kind of got that brown purple flake kind of thing going on. It's just a confidence lure for me. So I want something I know the fish can see. And so I do try to avoid muddy water like the play, but if I can't avoid muddy water, that's when I'm going more to my black and blue, uh, you know, black, red colors. I want dark colors they can see. And I lighten that up, uh, as, as the water gets clear, you know, so it's super clear water. I'm throwing more green pumpkin, even maybe some water type colors but i will i will tell the listeners a big change for me was when i quit going in the tackle store and buying 37 different colors of baits i might still spend as much money now but i limited my baits 
and my colors a little bit more because that's one less variable as an angler I got to worry about. I think a fish that's going to eat brown and purple would also eat maybe brown and orange if that's something you prefer or, or something with a little green flake. Sometimes I think we can overanalyze that part of it. And so that's why you see a lot of times it feels like the tournament anglers in the post reports, it feels like it's all pretty standard, you know, like pretty standard colors over and over. If it's muddy water, it's a black and blue type lure. If it's cleaner water, it's green pumpkin or watermelon, you know. I, I find that very fascinating what you just said there, Daryl, focusing on the things that you can control and sticking to the fundamentals. So I want to, uh, again, just thank you for helping Matt out with that question. And Matt, congratulations on having your question picked to be answered here on the show. Be sure to log on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize tab located there on the website. Fill out the information, and you will be receiving your Bass Edge gift. And as a typical reminder to all of our listeners on the show, keep firing in those questions. You can just hit the Ask the Pro tabs on BassEdge.com and uh, fill out the question. Get it answered here on the show. Win a gift from Bass Edge Radio, or you can just shoot us an email, support at BassEdge.com, and feel free to also leave those questions on our social media, Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter media pages. Well, Daryl, certainly we appreciate uh, you carving out time. I know you are a very busy person and in route to somewhere um, always. So, again, thanks for being on the show. Any uh, final thoughts as we uh, close down this episode? Well, obviously, I, I really appreciate uh, you guys for having me on. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit at the beginning uh, before we started. And I actually used to listen to you guys, uh, Aaron, when you first started this. So it was kind of kind of cool to be on here and share my thoughts. The biggest thing I try to tell people when all of us fish heads get together and we talk about all this is whoever you're listening to, I, I want you to think of fishing talk and fishing information as a big buffet. You don't have to take everything and fill your plate completely up. You just take the things you like. And I say that because I still think as anglers, you have to have your own identity. You have to have your own confidence. And it's, that's different for everybody. But I do think we can all learn from each other and we can grow and become better anglers. And things like this has, uh, you know, helped me a ton throughout my career. So I would always remind anglers that you don't have to do exactly what someone says. And sometimes someone may say something that you totally disagree with, and that's okay. The big thing that brings us all together, besides our passion for chasing bass, is that we all do it our own way. And the reason we do it that way is because we believe in it. And when you're out there and the bite is tough and you're in your own thoughts, the more you believe in something, the better off you're going to be. Great stuff. Terrific advice, Daryl. Thanks for spreading your fishing knowledge on today's episode. I look forward to seeing you on the road sometime in 2021. Bass Edge Nation, hang right here. Aaron and I will return in just a moment. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift. 
PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Kurt, Daryl Gleason uh, obviously has been around and uh, success here in the last 24 months, like we talked about. A couple things that stuck out on his interview was one was his answer on the listener question and the colors. Uh, mm. Keeping it basic, you know, again, sticking to the fundamentals, the things that we can control. And then also, you know, he, he, he talked about when fishing is tough and going back to your roots. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I just wonder how many of us can be better served by remembering that versus trying to force something, you know, that we think might be working, which a lot of times we just got to get our, our mental, you know, our, our head out of our way. Right. Right. So, you know, we get these listener questions in and we and we, you know, put them in the interviews and, and it's kind of a, you know, a little little surprise for the anglers of what they're going to be answering. <laughs> but how funny is it that? His favorite colors are brown, purple. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I that know. was also the question that that uh, was sent in. So so that was kind of cool. And and I liked how he simplifies it. Obviously, color color selection, you know, important. Uh, at the same time, going forward, even to the next thing that, that you talked about was confidence. And and when it's tough out, doing something that you believe the fish are doing, and that you have confidence in something you've had experience in the past. Same thing with color. You know, um, not not trying to get it too crazy, but at the same time, utilizing what what uh, you have confidence in, not only in color based on a condition, but also in your fishing. Yeah. If, if it gets tough out and the wind's blowing and you've caught fish on a spinnerbait when the wind blows or chatterbait and shallow, then get up shallow, throw something with confidence. Um, I go back to his don't get a bad attitude. What, what was the character's name he talked about? Eeyore. Yeah, Eeyore. 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 So, uh, you know, don't come up with the Eeyore complex with, oh, they're not biting today. It's not going to happen. You know, I'm wasting my time. You know, uh, all these silly things that can go through our heads. Unless, you, unless you're fishing against me, then, Kurt, then I want you to have the Eeyore attitude. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That is correct. That is correct. But Bass Edge listeners should never have the Eeyore attitude because they all catch fish all the time because they've listened to Bass Edge Radio. And well, that's we right. And, such and, and, awesome information from all these awesome anglers. And in all seriousness, you know, a lot of times what happens, you know, off, I guess, off air, right? We're talking, we're discussing, but uh, it really stuck out to me when he said, hey, you know what? I listened. When I was coming through the amateur ranks, he's like, I listened before anybody yeah. to Bass Edge, before anybody knew what a podcast was. So <laughs> I appreciate Daryl saying that. And then also his comment about, hey, information is like a smorgasbord. Take what appeals to you and what you can use, uh, but Love don't it. try and fill your plate with everything because it's, it's yeah. not going to work. So anyway, Kurt, I know that was a long episode. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you putting this together. A uh, lot of information, hopefully uh, Bass Edge, if nothing else, divided up into two parts. But I do want to remind everybody, stay up on all things Bass Edge through our various social media platforms, BassEdge.com. And, and don't forget, make sure 
take advantage of the 10% off. Uh, these prints that Kurt and I have are truly an amazing gift. Uh, but go to wildwings.com backslash bass edge. Again, wildwings.com backslash bass edge. Peruse their stuff and save 10% for being part of the bass edge community. Until next time, it looks like it's going to be probably getting cooler. December 1st is, is the next episode, Kurt, and I look forward, as always, to hanging out with you and all of the Bass Edge family December 1st for episode number 341. So long, everybody. The Edge is presented by MegaWare Keelguard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. 